Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. All right, we have been in our study called Rooted, um, what we believe and why it matters. And so for the past six weeks, we've been going through these, these different ideas. We talked about money last week. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, um, you know, how does God work in suffering? Uh, just kind of all these different ideas. And, and this week, we have come to this question, how can I make the most of my life? Um, it's kind of a huge question. It's kind of, kind of maybe the biggest question ever. Um, it's, it's a question that countless books and movies and philosophers and leaders and entire religions have been, have been really trying to answer for all of time. And so I've got 30 minutes today, and I'm going to try to nail it. So get a pen out, because it's going to be good. Um, so so I, I really believe that in order to figure out how we can make the most of our life, we need to first figure out what is our purpose? Um, what is our purpose here? And to give you an example um, of why this is so important, imagine you're in a basketball game. And, and to be in a basketball game, you need to know what your purpose is in that game. So let's say you're playing basketball. You need to understand your purpose is to win the game by scoring as many baskets over here as you can and keeping as many baskets as you can keep from going in the basket behind you, essentially. And so um, with that purpose in mind, then you begin to understand, okay, how do I make the most of this game? How do I make the most of, of this time on, my, on the court? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the ball in the basket over there and do whatever it takes to keep the ball from going in the basket over here. I'm going to play hard defense. I'm going to play hard offense. I'm going to have to share the ball with my teammates. We're going to come up with plays. So all of a sudden, basketball starts to take form because we understand what the purpose of basketball is. And so for us uh, to to really understand how we can make the most of our life, we we need to understand uh, what our purpose is. And I think... If you were to ask people what their purpose is, there'd probably be about as many answers to that question as, as there are people you ask. Um, I think a lot of different people have a lot of different answers. Uh, I think a lot of people might say, maybe my purpose is, is to be happy, to be happy while I'm here. Then, then what does making the most of my life look like then? Making the most of my life means, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make myself happy. I'm not, whatever move I need to make to be happy, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and, and that's how a lot of people live. That's how a lot of people live their life. Um, you might say, okay, is my purpose to, to make as much money as I can and, and to build a wealth and, and to build a name for myself? And so making the most of my life then would be, okay, how can I get more money? How can I move up the corporate ladder? How can I... How can I do whatever it takes to get to that next step, to get that, that next amount of money. And there's a lot of people who live their life like that. And, and really, if you go into any bookstore, um, one of the biggest sections in the bookstore is the self-help section. And essentially, if you break it down, what that is, is, 
is a bunch of people who have different ideas about what our purpose is and then how to make the most of your life, how to help you achieve that purpose. And so there's people who believe that if you're healthy, that achieves your purpose and then you'll be fulfilled. Or if you're happy or if you have a great family or, or if you do more good than bad or, or if you're a great leader. There's all these different ways that, that you can make the most of your life um, based on what your different idea of purpose is. And, and don't get me wrong, all, these are all good things. All, you know, making money and being healthy and having a great family. These are all great things. But the question we're, we're really trying to ask, what's our ultimate purpose? What is our ultimate purpose here on earth? And I think um, one of the big problems is our perspective. Um, I'm grabbing this cord right here. Okay, got myself a cord. Okay. Imagine this cord goes on forever. Imagine it's not knotted up, okay? Imagine it goes behind that curtain and then just extends on forever and ever. It goes all the way around the world multiple times, over and over and over again. It just extends forever, as as far as you can see. Um, I think our, our, our problem is, when it comes to purpose, our perspective is all messed up. Um, I want you to think about this, this cord that I have in my hands as, as your life, all right? This is your existence, and it goes on forever and ever and ever. By the way, I stole this analogy from Francis Chan, so anyway. So it goes on forever and ever. This is your existence. This is your life. And then this red part right here, can, can you guys see this red part? The red part on the cord, that's your time on earth. Okay, and, and for so many of us, we're so concerned about, okay, I got to get a good job here so that then I can retire at a good point right here, and then I can um, play enough golf and enjoy myself enough so that here um, I have enough money to still leave to my kids here, and then, and then we get so caught up in focusing on this little red part of our existence, when, when in reality, there's so much more. There's so much more to it than just, just what's right here. And I think if we, we began to, to, to have more of an eternal perspective, more of a, man, there's an eternity ahead. And, and it's not all about, okay, I got to do this and this and this so that, so that this part right here is really, really good. So this part right here is really, really fun for me. But we think about, man, what about eternity? What about the, the rest of my existence that goes on forever and ever and ever. It blows my mind that so many of us really only think about this red part. And and if we really are made for eternity, our entire purpose changes. Um, If we really believe what we read in this book, then then our entire purpose should look radically different than than before. And so... um, I want to start, uh, if you have a Bible, probably don't, but we have it on the screen, so don't worry about it. Um, We're going to open to Romans 12 um, and just start from from verse 1 and get into it. Um, It starts with this word. It says, therefore. Um, And I've been taught that in Scripture, um, when when you're reading the Bible and you see a therefore, you're supposed to ask, 
what it's there for. And so um, when we read Romans 12.1, it starts with, therefore, and we need to ask, why is it there? And so there's something, obviously, that's been communicated in Romans chapters 1 through 11 that then in chapter 12 it says, therefore. Um, there, there, there's something, there's a knowledge that we didn't have before. There's, there's some, something that's been brought to light um, to the brothers and sisters that Paul is talking to, something that's been brought to light that they didn't know before, and now he's saying, therefore. Um, and so it continues on, it says, therefore, in the view of God's mercy. And so he even says, kind of, he kind of sums up cha- Romans chapters 1 through 11. He says, look, in, in Romans chapters 1 through 11, I've talked about the incredible mercy of God. I've, I've laid out that, that God is all-powerful, all-encompassing, greater than we could ever imagine, and we have offended him, we have sinned against him, and we deserve to be punished, but, but God is love, and God has chosen not to do that, and God has sent his son and taken the punishment for us, and so that's what therefore is therefore. He's saying, look, the, the grace of God, it, it changes everything. And so, therefore, there's a way you should live. Because God had, had mercy on you and me in the light of that mercy, in the light of how our eternity has been changed, there's a way you should live. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Um, and when we talk about worship, a lot of times we get, we get caught up thinking that worship is, is merely just singing. Um, like, okay, what we did this morning was worship, and now we're on to the sermon. Um, and it is. That's, so corporate worship, that it's us gathered together, and we're, we're worshiping together. We're singing to the Lord. We're, we're ascribing worth to the Lord. We're, we're giving glory to the Lord. Um, but then there's also this idea of lifestyle worship, this idea that the way we live our lives, the things we do day in and day out, the Monday through Saturday and Sunday after 12 o'clock, what our life looks like, that can be worship too. And he says, this is your, so, so to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, this is your true and proper worship. Uh, another way that that's, um, that that's translated is it actually says, this is your logical and rational form of worship. I think it's so interesting that this logical and rational form of worship is, is offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, of living a life of giving glory to God is your, is your logical and rational response to, to this, to the eternity being changed. And so... Um, I think C.S. Lewis, he's, he says it good. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I think we can't call ourselves Christians and continue to live like, like eternity is not there. We can't continue to live with, with a 70-year perspective. We need to live with a eternal perspective. And I think when our perspective is changed, our, our, our perspective is changed, our purpose is then changed. And uh, 
there's this thing called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, there's a, l- a lot of different churches have a bunch of different confessions of faith, um, and in them they, they kind of just explain what it is to be a Christian, or they explain um, what they believe. And the very first part of this, con- and, and it's kind of in a question-answer format. And so they'll, they'll ask a question and answer it. And so it's, it's, and the whole point of it is to try to inform people what we believe. Um, and the very first question in it, they ask the question, what is the chief end of man? Essentially, what is our purpose? What is the purpose of you and me? And they answer it by saying, that he should glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think, I think when we change our perspective and we see eternity, we see our purpose change and our purpose becomes glorifying God and enjoying him forever. Um, so how do I not waste my life then? How do, I, how do I make the most of my life? I mean, this, this is what we want to talk about. How do we do that? How do we make a life of glorifying God and enjoying him? And I think there's really three realizations that we need to come to if we're going to live this life and glorify God. Um, I think the very first realization we need to make is it's not about me. I think this is a, well, one of the biggest ones that I think I didn't get until college, maybe, maybe even later. Um, but I think as humans, we tend to make a lot of things about ourselves. Um, maybe we don't all love being the center of attention, but, but we tend to like be making things about ourselves. If you take kids, for example, what are a kids, usually kids between the ages of like one and a half and five, what's one of their favorite words? Mine, right? Kids love that word, mine. Like, did anyone teach them to, to say that? Was, was uh, all the parents here who have kids that say mine, did you do that to them like a bunch of times and then, and then like then they started picking it up? No, it was just like innate in them that they, okay, it's me, that's mine. That's, it's all about me. There's this innate selfishness of, about making things about me. And I think we're all born with it and it's, it's our tendency to go that way. Um, and I think when we read the Bible, we can tend to twist and, and make it so that we become the center of it. So we become the center of, of whatever the Bible is talking about. For, for example, I think this is a pretty common one, is, is in David. My whole life growing up, I, I kind of thought, okay, the story of David. You know, what's the application about the story of David and Goliath? The application is, okay, this is how I can overcome um, my, my struggles. This is, how, this is how, okay, I'm David, and you know, if I step up and, and I take my, my rocks, then I can take down any struggle that comes my way. And, and the fact is, I, I was putting myself in the center of the story. And when we read the Bible and, and you go through, David is not us. David is Jesus. Je- Jesus is the one who steps up for us. We're the cowering Israelites in the back who are afraid to face what's coming. And Jesus is the one who says, no, 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 I got this for you. I'll take care of it for you. And so um, I think as we, as we read scripture, as we go on in life, we need to realize it's not about us. Um, Francis Chan is an author that I just stole this thing from. Um, he also wrote a book called Crazy Love. And in it, he, he kind of makes this point. He says this, suppose you are in an extra in an upcoming movie. 
you will probably scrutinize that one scene where hundreds of people are milling around, just waiting for that two-fifths of a second when you can see the back of your head. What if you rent out a theater on opening night and invite all your friends and family to come see the new movie about you? People will say, you're an idiot. How could you think that this movie is about you? I think God loves us, and, and he delights in us, and he is for us, but it's not about us. It, God didn't die on the cross because we were so awesome. He died on the cross because he is so awesome, and I think we need to be the type of people that point to God and not to ourselves. Chan finishes the analogy. He says, now consider the movie of life. God created the world. Were you alive then? Was God talking to you when he proclaimed it is good about all he had just made? Then people rebel against God, who, if you haven't realized yet, is the main character in this movie. And then the climax, the son of God is born among his people, whom God still somehow loves. While in this world, the son teaches his followers what true love looks like. Then the son of God dies and is resurrected and goes back up to be with God. And even though the movie isn't quite finished yet, we know what the last scene holds, the throne room of God. From start to finish, this movie is obviously about God. He is the main character. We have our two-fifths of a second long scene to live. And I don't know about you, but I want my two-fifths of a second to be about making much of God. Um, I think it's, it's beautiful. There's, the, there's this uh, British missionary. His name is C.T. Studd. And he has this kind of poem. And it says this, that only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. It's this idea of the temporariness of everything here and the eternity, and that God is, is, is the main character. And so that's kind of the first thing we need to realize is it's not about me. It's not about me. Second thing I think we need to realize is that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. Um, I want to read from Philippians just so that we can hear Paul's satisfaction in the Lord, so that we can see, hear his passion for God. Um, Paul, in Philippians 1, he writes, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's passion was to, to live and die in such a way that it made Christ look great. He's so satisfied in Christ that, that it actually looks like, man, if he, if he dies or if he lives, it's all about Christ. It's not about him. I mean, there's a satisfaction there that just goes beyond normal reasoning. Most people would say, you shouldn't just be okay with dying. But, but for Paul, he's like, look, if I get to be closer to the Lord, that's what I want. And if not, I'm going to stay here on earth and, and I'm going to be all about Christ here. I think for most of us, we have it the opposite. For, for most of us, to live is gain, and to die then is Christ. And, and I think we need to, to follow in, in, in Paul's words here. 
John Piper, he takes this Westminster Confession of Faith, this what is the chief end of man, and he, and he switches it a little bit. And I like the, the way he, he says it. He says, what is the chief end of man? That we should glorify God by enjoying him forever. Suddenly, it's not glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's glorify God by enjoying him forever. This idea of satis- such a satisfaction in Christ, such an enjoyment of, of our Lord, that, that in that, our satisfaction, it brings him glory. Um, it's crazy that if you look throughout Scripture, there's these people who live and die for Christ. I mean, if you look throughout history, there's people who live and die for Christ. And it actually looks like their treasure is in heaven. It actually looks like Christ is, is a field worth selling everything for. It actually looks like knowing Christ is the most important thing to them. I think if someone were to look at my life, uh, would they say, is it really Christ that satisfies him? Is it really Christ that satisfies me? Or is it my comforts? Or is it my family? Or is it my phone? Or is it getting a good night's sleep? Like, I think people would look at my life, and, and sadly, I don't think a lot of times they would say, oh, it, Christ is what satisfies him. There's all this stuff that I get so satisfied with. There's all this stuff that I'm so consumed with all the time. Um, and so we need to realize that God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. The third thing I think we need to realize is that when I am most satisfied in him, in Christ, I live a life of sacrificial love. Um, I think this is one of the most impactful things I, I ever learned. Uh, and it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy when you get it. Um, but there's this idea that God, he puts his glory on display through his grace, uh, specifically in, in his salvation of us on the cross. And in doing that, he raises us to life while at the same time showing us how to live. So that's a little confusing, but, but think about it like this. Essentially, God on the cross, he gave us eyes to see and then gave us something to look at. In, in Christ, his death on the cross for us, he not only gave us life, but showed us how to live. And so um, it's his sacrificial love for us that our life should mimic. Mark 8, 35 says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But, for, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. There's this idea with Jesus that the way up is down, that in, in order to, you need to lay your life down to find it. Um, there, there's just this oxymoron with Jesus where it, it's a, once you give up your life, that's where true life is found. Um, and this idea of sacrificial love, it's not this calculated love of, okay, I need to find someone to love who's going to love me back appropriately and, and you know, I need, to, I need to do things for people who, who deserve it. You know, if I'm going to love someone, I'm, I better make sure that they deserve that love. You know, if I'm going to do something nice for my wife, I better make sure that she'd clean the house earlier that day or else, you know, what am I saying? That the house can be dirty? That's not what sacrificial love is at all. Sacrificial love is laying down our lives for the people around us 
especially those who don't deserve it. That's what Christ did for us. We definitely didn't deserve it. And yet he did it anyway. So he shows us how to live on the cross. Um, and so I, I want to ask the question, how does this look? How does this sacrificial love look? Because I think it's easy to talk about these heady ideas of, of sacrificial love and being satisfied in Christ and then walk out of here and, and feel like, man, that's, that's cool, but I, I don't really know how that changes how I live. Um, there's a book called Love Does. Um, it's Bob Goff. Has anyone read it? Okay, like two or three. It's a great book. It's one of my favorites. You should definitely read it. Um, but in the first chapter, he tells this story. And so Bob, he tells the story. He's in high school. Um, it's kind of your average high schooler. And he's, he's got this older friend named Randy. Randy's a young life leader. And, and Randy kind of uh, has been pouring into his life, has been caring about him, shows up at sporting events, shows up at school, just, just constantly there for Bob. And Bob comes to this point in his life where uh, it's his junior year and he realizes, I don't think I want to do this whole school thing anymore. I don't think I want to, you know what, this is just exhausting and I want to be a part of it. I'm done. And so he decides what he's going to do is he's going to quit school. He's going to go uh, a professional rock climber and flip pancakes to make money. So he's going to, that's essentially what he does. So he packs up his bags. Um, he throws him in his car. He takes off. And on the way out of town, he thinks, you know, I'm going to stop by Randy's house and say goodbye. I'm going I'm to make sure I say goodbye to Randy. He's, you know, really done a great job of caring for me. Stops by Randy's house, uh, knocks on the door. Randy opens up the door, and he tells him his plan. He's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to be a professional rock climber. And, it, you know, this is just how I'm going to spend my life now. It's gonna, I'll probably live out of my car for a little while. And Randy... <laughs> is standing there at the door, and Bob says, at that point, he says uh, three words that change his life. He says, I'm with you. Let's do it. And so, so Randy goes, um, he packs his bag, he gets his stuff together, uh, he kisses his girlfriend, and then he, heads, he jumps in the car with Bob. And so they go off, they go on this adventure, um, and long story short, <laughs> doesn't work out, surprisingly enough, for Bob. He doesn't become a professional rock climber. He can't find work. But, but he's gone on this road trip. And um, so he decides, you know what, it's probably time to come back. And he heads back. And on the way back, um, he drops Randy off. And they're pulling the bags out of his car. And, and the girlfriend runs out of the house and, and jumps on Randy and gives him a big, big kiss on the lips. And, and uh, Bob is thinking, wow, that's, that's really cool. That's, you know, they really love each other. And then they bring their bags in to the house, and he realizes that there's boxes stacked throughout the house. There's like a microwave in one, and there's plates in one, and there's this, all the silverware. And it's, he's like, did you guys just move in? And Randy goes, no, we actually just got married. And what Bob finds out is that days, days before he knocked on that door, uh, Randy and his girlfriend had gotten married and had started their life together. And essentially, for his honeymoon, he said, let's go. And for Bob, he saw that and he said, man, that's, I've never seen 
love so sacrificing, that you would give up your honeymoon, that you would give up this time with your new bride to come with me to do nothing? He said it changed his life forever. That's what sacrificial love looks like. It's giving up what we want. It's giving up what makes me comfortable. It's giving up what, what I would choose because someone else needs something else. It means when you get home from a long day of work and you just want to sit on the couch and turn the TV on, that's not what I get to do anymore because I don't just get to do all the things I want to do. Because now I'm following Christ and I'm supposed to be sacrificially loving. And so now I want to engage my wife. We engage our families. We, we do the things we don't want to do because we sacrificially love our families. Um, I, I think about uh, the people, sorry, the people who show up early every Sunday. Um, Phil. Buck, the, the entire worship team, they come here at 8 a.m. I don't get to count myself because I get paid. But everyone, there's all these people who show up at 8 a.m. Not because Phil or Buck or all this, not because they love setting stuff up. I mean, that would be cool if they did, but it would be a good overlap. But I, I doubt they love it. I doubt it's like the funnest thing. To, everyone else, they would rather be sleeping in but they choose to get up. They choose this sacrificial love for our benefit, for the church's benefit, for my benefit, so that I don't have to be here at 5 a.m. doing it by myself. Um, I think of people who, like Curtis, who mentors, where's Curtis? I don't even know. Sorry, I'm embarrassing people this week. He mentors with Teach One to Lead One. Great organization. Check it out. Talk to Richard Doe. Um, but, who, he goes every week to Devereux High School on Thursdays and spends an hour pouring into these kids that, it, it's like one step before jail is, is what this school is. And so he's pouring into these kids that are probably never going to return the favor to him. It's a sacrificial love to, to give of his time and expect nothing in return. These kids are not going to get out of high school and make a ton of money and be like, you know what, I'm going to give a ton of money to that one guy, Curtis, who helped me in high school. It's never going to happen. Like, essentially, he's, he's pouring his time and his effort into these kids because he, he loves them, because that's what Christ would do. I think that is what this life is about. If we're Christ followers, our life should be about sacrificial love. I think what Jesus calls us to, it's sometimes painful, it's sometimes hard, it's uncomfortable, a, a heck of a lot of the time, but it's where full life is found. John 10.10, 10, it says that the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. A full life is a life of sacrificial love. A full life is a life of laying down our life. That's where the whole paradox takes place. And so I kind of want to finish asking, do we realize that's, that's where we make the most of our life? When we live a life of sacrificial love, because it shows our satisfaction in Christ, which glorifies God, which is our purpose in the first place. 
I think we, we ought to be asking ourselves, how can I sacrificially love the people in my life better? How can I lay down my life for the betterment of my friends, for the betterment of my family, for the betterment of my coworkers, for my neighbors? What uncomfortable steps do I need to take to sacrifice what I would want in order to love them? Um, today, as we go into communion, um, and as the band comes back up, what we celebrate in communion is that God sacrificially loved us. That God, who in heaven has everything he needs, he doesn't need to come and save us on the cross, but he chooses to. We celebrate, when we take the bread, we celebrate God's body broken for us. When we drink the juice, we celebrate God's blood that was poured out for us. And then we ought to think, man, how can I go do likewise? How can I go live like Christ did? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, for the men and women in this room for the people who sacrificially love their families, who sacrificially love their neighbors, who sacrificially love their friends. Lord, I, I pray that our satisfaction in you would bring you glory. That as we love people, that as we put ourselves behind, as we put ourselves second or third or last, that we would point to you that our, our purpose would, would be fulfilled, that we would glorify you in our lives, and that we would do it in light of this eternity that's ahead, this eternal perspective that you and only you can give us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
sacrificially to others. May this community experience the love that comes from you, the love that comes from a God who first loved us. As you go today, may you be a blessing. Go in peace. Love you guys. Go Cardinals. <laughs>